Hello and welcome back to CB On Air's Partners in Focus series. I am Rachel King, Associate Editor for Central Banking. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Jane Ambuckshire, who is Global Head of Sustainability at BNP Paribas Asset Management. Jane is also a member of the FSB's Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jane. It's a pleasure to be here. So today we're going to talk about net zero and how the financial system, including central banks, are approaching this goal more broadly around climate risk. And obviously it's a very timely topic given recent commitments made by the public and private sector during the recent COP26 conference. So before we get into, into the details around these um, approaches, I wonder, Jane, whether you'd be able to explain what we mean by net zero and how this differs perhaps from the goals set out um, sort of five, six years ago in the Paris Agreement. Sure, Rachel, happy to do that. Um, so if we look at the science-based target initiative as, as kind of an authoritative source, they define reaching net zero as achieving a state in which the activities within the value chain of an organization result in no net impact on the climate from a GHG emission perspective, and which is consistent with limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees. So in other words, to achieve net zero, we wanna reduce our emissions as much as possible and then remove from the atmosphere those emissions that we can't reduce. This is a little different from the Paris Agreement, whose goal is to limit global warming to well below two degrees, preferably to one and a half degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. And I think the you know, recent um, kind of growth in knowledge around and experience of the extreme weather events associated with climate change over the last couple of years have really helped to push the focus onto the imperative of, of achieving net zero um, and, and limiting warming to 1.5 degrees. So they're very ambitious goals, one could argue, but necessary if, if we're going to, I guess, green the planet in some sense. Um, and it's going to require a huge commitment from all areas of industry, including our audience and obviously your market. So from your perspective, why is net zero so key for the central banking community and for the financial industry more broadly? Sure. Well, you know, if we start first with the wider financial community and, and the, you know, the asset management and, and asset owner community, I think, as I mentioned, this, this growing experience with just the, the vast economic and social and environmental consequences associated with, you know, the rise in extreme weather events, whether it's wildfires, dramatic flooding, droughts, all around the world, that these, these consequences are so severe from a financial perspective, you know, beyond the social perspective, that collectively we, you know, we will not be able to achieve our aims to deliver sustainable returns to clients in an economy which, which you know, transforms too much in the context of, of unmitigated climate change. So I think collectively what we've seen is, is a waking up um, more tangibly to the point where, uh, you know, there's $130 trillion that are part of the Glasgow uh, Financial Alliance for achieving net zero. Now this, you know, this includes banks, it includes asset managers, including ourselves and, and asset owners. So we have a big commitment towards net zero. And I think this growth, this acceleration of this commitment across the financial sector is really tied to that growing realization, right? This is supported by new reports, you know, the sixth assessment report, the first phase of that from the IPCC, the, intergovern um, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that came out earlier this year. 
as well as the net zero report from the International Energy Agency. So I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of people now pushing in the same direction, really from a financial imperative perspective. Um, from a central banking perspective, you know, in 2017, we had the launch of the, the network for greening the financial system uh, that brings together 95 central banks and supervisors from all continents. Um, so this is a great network that's made a lot of progress in terms of, you know, committing to developing climate and environmental risk management within the financial sector and really mobilizing mainstream financial um, support, you know, to, to enable this transition to a more sustainable economy. Yeah, there's clearly no lack of ambition within the industry. And as you say, the pace at which um, these projects are going ahead within the industry are accelerating. But there are some fairly big challenges which are arguably preventing further progress from being made. Um, so in your view, what are the major challenges central banks are currently facing and, and potentially will face when driving this net zero agenda within the industry? Sure. I mean, I think you can think about the, the challenges from a few different perspectives. You know, the, the first one is just the fact that the global economy today is not net zero aligned for the for the most part. So we've got a disconnect between the reality and what's required in terms of that transition. So really that, you know, poses the question of, you know, what role do central banks play in facilitating that transition? Um, additional challenges, of course, are more individual to the different banks, depending on their geographical location, the level of economic development, the level of, of emissions in their respective regions. Of course, this different starting point will influence the tools at their disposal, some of the, the policy will, etc. So I think it brings in a role for international organizations like the IMF and really supporting central banks in this transition. Um, and I think on a practical level, you know, there can be some some political challenges in, in tackling trade-off when you know trade-offs when we think about issues like the just transition, thinking about you know balancing the introduction of, of carbon taxes in the context of social equity or inequality concerns, and really thinking about how to do that in a smart way. Um, so I think, of course, there are challenges, but I think we need to underpin also this opportunity, right? The fact that. Um, you know, $130 trillion in the financial sector, but, you know, 90% of, of global emissions now are, are in countries that are committed to achieving net zero. And so we have a lot of will. Um, I think we have a lot of commitments. And now we, we really need to find the way and we need to think about the role that central banks will play in helping to accelerate the effective transition towards, uh, towards net zero. I think that's right. And obviously, the key question here is obviously there's a lot of will. Um, so as you say, how do they go about addressing these challenges and actually taking a step forward? And we have seen some progress. Obviously, there's central banks who've set stress tests and there are questions around how effective these are, whether the models are correct. And we've also had central banks looking at macro potential tools and capital requirements and things like that. But what deliverables are they realistically going to be able to to set, um, I guess, around net zero, because obviously, as you say, there's there's political pressure, there's an international aspect. If they're going to set themselves sort of mid goals, perhaps, they've got to be realistic. So in your opinion, sort of what, what sort of deliverables should they be looking to, to set themselves? You know, I would point listeners to a, a paper that came out in, in March of this year uh, titled Net Zero Central Banking, a new phase in greening the financial system. 
So this was, was published jointly by the Grantham Research Institute um, and the Center for Sustainable Finance at, at SOAS. And I think um, has a nice set of seven clear recommendations, um, basically around developing a credible and effective approach to net zero. Uh, so I think maybe if I just touch on what those seven recommendations are, that's a, an interesting way perhaps to address your question. The first is around strategy and policy coordination. So really developing a net zero strategy with a clear roadmap, including you know, longer term expectations as well as the near term actions and promoting a, you know, the coordination between central banks, supervisors and policymakers on achieving net zero. And I think we can't do this in a silo. We need to have you know, more of that macro perspective. Number two is around prudential regulation. Um, so requiring regulated financial institutions to submit net zero transition plans and upgrading TCFD disclosures to include net zero. The third is around scenarios. So adjusting long-term scenarios and, and thinking about 1.5 aligned scenarios, um, not just out at 2050, but looking at, you know, what are the shorter term outlooks and transition pathways to get there. Number four is around monetary policy. So incorporating net zero considerations into monetary policy frameworks or operations or um, setting clear net zero criteria for collateral refinancing and as asset purchase programs. The fifth is port portfolio management. So thinking about their own portfolios and adopting a net zero target for those. Number six is, is what I touched on earlier around the just transition. So really thinking about you know, the, the regional or domestic implications for net zero from an, a jobs perspective and a well-being perspective uh, and thinking about it in that context. And then finally, the, the last one is around international cooperation. Um, so really integrating net zero into international frameworks, um, you know, looking at the IMF uh, surveillance function, technical assistance, lending facilities. Um, and also, I think there's an important element from a multilateral development bank perspective and you know, one of the big issues at COP26 and discussion points was around you know, financing for the global south, both around um, mitigation and adaptation and, and helping to kind of fill the gap between the commitments that have been made and the financial flows that we've seen. So it, it's a pretty comprehensive roadmap. I think there's lots to be done, but I think we also have seen a lot of good examples um, in different markets and we have more and more experience around you know, some of the tools and the, and the, the procedures and the approach that different central ban banks are taking. Um, which which will help us, I think, to accelerate the change that we need to see. Now, some of those deliverables, central banks have more control over than others, I guess, like obviously the monetary policy frameworks, the net zero targets for asset purchases and, and the greening of their reserve portfolios more broadly. Obviously, they have a much greater chance of success, arguably. But you also mentioned asking banks to submit net zero transition plans and around disclosures as well. And BNP obviously has a very robust sustainability net zero framework in place, but there might be other players within the industry who are a bit slower off the mark. And central banks, I guess, perhaps don't yet have the powers to, I guess, reinforce those plans. There's no sort of accountability for those banks if, if they don't do it. There's almost like a comply and explain um, mantra that's being rippled through the community. So I, I just wanted to ask you, to what extent should central banks be held accountable if net zero isn't reached within the financial industry? Okay, so I mean, clearly they're not going to be held solely responsible or accountable. I think, you know, there are many different stakeholders in the financial sector 
um, with complementary but differentiated responsibilities. And we need to keep in mind that we're operating within kind of an interconnected financial system where I think we all need to be pushing towards the same outcome. So I think the, the trick here is really to think about the respective roles and responsibilities and really opportunities. We don't want to lose fact of, you know, um, of lose sight of the fact that this is really around protecting our global and domestic economies to facilitate the transition in the most effective way possible to ensure long-term prosperity um, for all. And that's really, I think, what's at play here. So I, I think that, you know, this is something where we have collective responsibility and collective opportunity. And it's really about, you know, each of us using the tools in our disposal to push for effective change, but also to, to push for education and awareness raising about this topic. Right. We are looking at um, an incredibly significant tra transition of all sectors of the economy and global land use in a very, very short period of time. So I think that there's a need for deeper understanding across all segments. And and, you know, one of the things that we're doing to try to help achieve that is that we're a, a strategic partner of something called the inevitable policy response, which is basically a climate policy forecasting consortium. Um, led by the, the PRI, the Principles for Responsible Investment, um, with many interesting partners involved in it. And what they're doing is really forecasting a bottom-up um, forecast policy scenario, which, you know, the current forecast that was published just earlier this year takes us on a 1.8 degree pathway. And they are providing very detailed, you know, sector by sector, region by region kind of transition pathways including for land use, for agriculture, around deforestation, all around the world. So that kind of information, I think, is really supporting the investment community to, to dive deeper and just understand, you know, what are the different transitions and, and over what time frame are they being forecast? And what does that mean for me as an investor, as a regulator? What's interesting is that the IPR has also published a required policy scenario which sets out the incremental changes beyond the forecast for what is required to achieve 1.5 degrees or net zero by 2050. And it's really interesting to look at that short list of additional, you know, the kind of 10 top policy, incremental policy changes that we need to see to push, you know, to bend the curve further downwards to bring us within that 1.5 degree range. Um, so I think, as I said, you know, we all have this collective responsibility and opportunity there's never been more focus on this. There's never been more commitment to this. And now what we really need to do is, is kind of, you know, um, focus on implementation. You've hit the nail on the head there, I think, with implementation. Obviously, as I said earlier, there's no lack of ambition. And I think what has frustrated people in the past is that some sectors have just moved too slowly. Now, there seems to have been this growing momentum, perhaps off the back of the urgency that we now need to I guess, complete these commitments. So Jane, from your perspective, how optimistic are you about the financial industry meeting its net zero commitments? Sure. Well, I think I wouldn't be working in this role if I weren't inherently an optimist. Um, but I am optimistic. You know, looking back at the start of this year, I think less than a quarter of global GDP was committed to, to net zero and achieving carbon neutrality. That's over 90 percent now. That's incredible momentum in a short period of time. We've also got the GFANS network that I mentioned, $130 trillion of financial assets committed to net zero. Um, you know, that's a lot of muscle 
you know, behind this issue. So we're seeing a lot of great momentum around the commitment, but, you know, rightly so, there are a number of important stakeholders that are looking for more proof in the pudding, who are looking for implementation and credible short-term transition plans. Uh, so I think that's really the opportunity now. It's something that, you know, we're certainly doing a lot of work on internally. We know that many of our clients are interested in having discussions about how they can, you know, really um, bring their net zero aspirations into portfolios from a, a more a more practical perspective, whether it's around, you know, allocating to more kind of dark green assets, whether it's around, you know, better policies to look at different areas that they may, may need to move away from. And of course, doing a lot more engagement with everybody in between, whether it's engaging with companies, but also engaging with policymakers to encourage them to take the different steps, put the policies into place that are required, not only to achieve the transition, but to send clear signals to all of the different economic stakeholders so that you know, companies can make the right capital allocation decisions you know, in, a, you know, in an environment that makes sense for them with, with a clear pathway to the transition. So I think we're really in an, an, an incredibly interesting and challenging period. But what really gives me optimism is that, you know, we're kind of all hands on deck. And I think that's exactly what we need, including with the central banking community. So thanks for the opportunity to, to join you today. No, thank you, Jane. And I hope the rest of the industry takes the same sort of optimistic approach as you and, and has this glass half full mentality and hopefully over the next sort of decade we will see those aspirations and ambitions turn into action um, and you at BMP are leading the charge so thank you for that. Great thank you.